Okay, you are listening to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 167. I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. If you're new to the podcast, this podcast is dedicated to strategies for living a naturally healthy life. If that's something you're interested in, you are in the right place. Over the last few weeks, I've started um, live streaming this podcast recording on YouTube. So if you are an old listener to the podcast, you're used to getting this on podcast players, and that's still going to happen beginning of every week, whether it be Sunday night or Monday morning, podcast is going to drop. But if you want this information earlier, you can listen to it. You can join me on YouTube where I will live stream stream these. So Today, we're going to talk about the thought model and how I use this to help my clients reverse their type 2 diabetes. Before we jump into that, I want to make some announcements. Again, we are doing these live stream on YouTube. So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you should get notified, or at least you should have this available to you. If you are on social media, so I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook at DelaneMD. Follow me in those places. I usually go live and make an announcement at the beginning of the week about when I will be doing these live streams, these uh, YouTube lives. So um, follow me there so that you get notified because it's going to change every week. It's not going to be at the same time every week. So um, make sure you're following me on those social media platforms. If you have any questions, you can always email me at Delane at Delane MD. I'm happy to answer any questions. If you've emailed me and I haven't responded, I just got lost in the shuffle, email me back. Those emails sometimes will go to my junk email box and there's a lot of junk in the junk email box. So sometimes it gets missed. Just send it again. Keep harassing me. I will answer you. Um, We are, I am going to be doing a five-day training seminar. So many of you may be familiar. There is a free five-day training seminar for women with type 2 diabetes. It will be held October 17th through the 21st. This is five days. There will be coaching sessions. There are um, modules like videos to listen to online. Those cover uh, the foundational elements for how to fix your type 2 diabetes. So if that's something you're interested in, make sure you're sending me an email to lanetillianmd.com. I'll get you registered. The registration page should be going up on my website um, in the next day or two. I just need to get that um going live. So if you're interested in that, uh, make sure you reach out to me. I am still considering holding a 60 to 90 minute webinar for gentlemen with type 2 diabetes that are looking at reversing that and they want the information and they want to have their questions answered. It will, again, discuss foundational strategies. Certainly there will be some coaching element if folks want that. So stay tuned for that. I'm looking at doing that uh, probably in November. So lastly, If you are finding this information helpful, if you are implementing these strategies and you're getting amazing results, one, send me an email. I want to know. If you don't want me to share it on the podcast, I don't have to share it on the podcast. That's totally fine. But um, I want to know, one, because that's why I put this out here. I put this podcast out because I really want people to realize you do not have to be sick with type 2 diabetes for the rest of your life. This is not a progressive disease that will never go away. Type 2 diabetes is a biological response to the human body, not eating foods that are natural to the human body, and it can totally be reversed. And the healthcare system in America, the medicine machine in America is never going to tell you that. I am part of the medicine machine. I'm still a practicing physician. 
I am part of that. The standard of care does not involve fixing your type 2 diabetes. It involves throwing medications on it. So you will unlikely ever hear this from a physician or your medical provider. And that's why I do this podcast is to let people know that this is possible. You can fix your type 2 diabetes. I do this work with people all the time. I've seen it happen. I've done it personally. This is entirely possible. So if you're finding this helpful, please reach out to me. Let me know. I love to hear your story. Secondly, please give me a rating on your podcast player. Rate me. Give me five stars. Give me three stars. Tell me why. I want to know. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you want to hear more of. I want to know where things are confusing. I want all of that. But if you don't want to spend time doing that, that's awesome. Rate me. The more ratings this podcast gets, the more it gets presented to more people so they can get the same help you are getting. They can hear the same information that you are finding helpful. They can hear the same realization, the same belief that you don't have to be sick with type 2 diabetes. So if this is helpful for you, please give me a rating so that others can get this information too. Okay. So the thought model, we're going to talk about the thought model. We're going to talk about about the thought model. We're going to talk about confirmation bias. We're going to talk about neuronal connections, and we're going to talk about how do you challenge, how do you challenge your thoughts in order to create more um, meaningful thoughts, but more than just meaningful, more thoughts that create the results that you want because that's where this comes from. So the thought model is a coaching strategy that I was taught when I went through coach training. Um, The thought model is frequently also used in cognitive behavioral therapy and in dialectical behavioral therapy and all these different um, psychological science components. The thought model, they don't call it the thought model, they call it something else, but it's the same concept. So I use this model with all things, and I'm going to describe it here in just a minute. But I want you to know that I have done podcasts on this before. I'm going to review it again here. And I'm going to go into it a little deeper because of how powerful it is. Many people, I certainly was guilty of this, don't believe that thoughts are an issue. This isn't the way the world works. There is something scientific happening here and I need to fix the science. But what I want to offer you is this is exactly how the world works and why this is exactly how the world works. So the brain is the filter with which we all, every human experiences of the world, right? Like our dogs sniff everything. They experience the world through their noses. Humans, I mean, they use their brains too. The brain interprets that. But for humans, the brain is probably the most active neural experience, neural organ, like nerve organ that we have. It is constantly working. In fact, when people try to shut off their thoughts, dead people shut off their thoughts. The brain's function is to think similar to the heart's function is to beat. The only people that aren't beating their heart are the dead ones. The only people that aren't thinking are the dead ones. Our brain is always going. This idea that we shut our brain off, the reason it's so hard and frustrating is because the brain never shuts off. It's just the way our brain works. So the brain is a thinking machine. It is a predictive modeling machine. That's what our brain does. This is how it works. So it takes, what this means is the brain takes what it has seen, what it has experienced, and it makes a prediction via a thought about what it can expect to happen and what it means that that, that something is happening, right? I've seen a fire. 
if I see smoke, my brain will say, oh, smoke comes with fire. So there's smoke, there must be fire somewhere, right? That's a predictive thought, a predictive modeling machine work that our brain does. So what this means, it makes, so our brain takes what we see and it makes prediction and it applies meaning to the things that we see, but it's a filter. All of the things happen this way. So for somebody who's never seen a fire, they don't know that smoke comes with fire. They can't make that prediction. Your brain has seen things and my brain has seen, th seen things. And because those things are different, we make them mean different things, right? This is thinking. This is thought. So this is the filter in our brains, the way that our brain sees and makes things, predicts things and makes them mean things. That's the filter of our brain. All of the world is interpreted this way. All of our world is interpreted this way. So for me, and I'm going to use this as an example, partly because I find it entertaining <laughs> and it is entertaining, but also because it's, it makes it very clear. So sticks on the ground for me, you're spent outside in nature, sticks on the ground are snakes, right? So if you've never seen a snake, you don't know that snakes are possible and therefore sticks on the ground are never snakes, right? This is the filter I'm talking about. Okay. So the thought model has five components. The first is circumstances. That's the C line. The second, the second part of the model is our thought. That's the thought line, the T line. So we have thoughts about the circumstances in the world. Those thoughts create the third component, which is our feelings or our F line. Those feelings drive our actions, which is the A line. And those actions create our results. Okay. The results are always supporting or related somehow to the thought. So the results in the end that we've created are always supporting the thing that we believe, the thought that we had. So for me, the circumstance of something long and slender on the ground, like that's the circumstance, right? Everybody could look on the ground and say, yep, that is long and slender. It's a long, slender object on the ground. My thought is that's a snake and snakes might kill me. Like snakes can be deadly. When we believe that snakes might kill me and they can be deadly, we feel fearful. I feel fearful at least. <laughs> and my action is to move away, jumping, nearly twisting an ankle. I also tell others, right? Like there are tons of snakes in this area. You need to be careful, right? I'm hypervigilant of what I see on the ground. Is that a snake? Is that a snake? Is that a snake? Okay. And my result is that either I just saved my life because it was a snake or I start looking and seeing like inevitably I probably will run into another snake, right? Sometimes these thoughts are thought errors. Right? So like if it's a stick, it's not a snake, Like that's a thought error. But because of my belief that snakes are here and deadly, <laughs> suddenly I start seeing everything as a snake. So when this happens, this is hysterical. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, in the spring, I start, I, I'll typically, I typically take a few months off in the winter from running, but in the spring, I'll start running again. And it's lovely because the trails aren't over run with weeds or grass or whatever, right? So you can see everything <laughs> somewhere late May early June, there's all this grass and suddenly like 
you can't see everything. And invariably I run into a snake, right? So when that happens, suddenly I'm reminded, oh, there are snakes on the trails and my brain goes into hyperdrive. Like I'm fearful. My brain goes into hyperdrive. Everything looks like a snake. I start seeing more snakes. I, in fact, actually identify more snakes because I'm hypervigilant of them. I start telling everybody, like there'll be a family walking in the nature center that I'm running in. I'm like, watch out, there's snakes everywhere. I start telling everybody, vocalizing, verbalizing, making my belief real to more people that there are snakes in the area, right? I start to see everything, everything. My brain interprets all the things as snakes, right? Epinephrine courses through my body. I'm worried. I'm fearful. This becomes this almost self-fulfilling thing for me, right? Like I will find more snakes because I'm looking for snakes. And invariably that's what happens, right? So this is the confirmation bias that the thought model is based on. Okay. So the reason that the thought model is such a powerful tool is because it gives you a structure to hang your story on so you can see where your agency is in creating this, right? For me, my thought that snakes might kill me <laughs> is my thought error, one, because Kansas doesn't really have a lot of poisonous snakes. So really, chances that I'm running in a nature center and there's anything more than a garter snake is slim to none. Okay. So that's probably not even true. And that's a thought error. But every single thing I see, because my belief is so strong, I interpret because my brain is a predictive interpretive filter, creating thoughts and beliefs, because that's how my brain works. Everything that I see, I interpret as this threat of something that might kill me. Okay. So the reason that the thought model works is because of confirmation bias. So confirmation bias is one of the foundational biases of the brain, of the thinking brain. It's how it works. There's a number of biases that our brain has. Confirmation bias is one of them. Confirmation bias is the tendency to search for, to interpret information or to favor information like the things that you see or to recall information in a way that confirms something you already believe. It supports what you already believe, your prior beliefs and values. It's the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of what you already know, what you already believe, what your the theories you hold true. That's confirmation bias. So for me, searching on the running trail for all long slender things that are on the ground and they're snakes, everything, every piece of information that I bring up is a snake. Every everything I see on the ground is a snake. I favor the idea that snakes are in the area by telling others, like I verbalize it, I make it more real by telling others. I influence their thoughts by my beliefs because I favor that idea, right? I recall the things that I've seen, like, oh, remember that one year where you saw a snake? Remember that one time when you were running? Seriously, this has gone through my head. Remember that one time you were running in the tall grass? I wonder how many snakes you came close to then right? Like it must've been a million. <laughs> the ground must be covered with snakes in my brain. It's very um, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom where the, the ground was covered with snakes. So this is how the brain works. Our brain will interpret evidence of what we already believe. And in some cases it will create evidence, right? Like 
I was running through that field and there was all the grass and there must have been snakes everywhere. It will create evidence of what you already believe. Our brain will create behaviors in us to produce more evidence of the things that we already believe. It will interpret the things that we do and the information that we come across as evidence of what we already believe. This is confirmation bias. And this is the basis of the thought model. This is why the thought model is so powerful. This is also why your thoughts and beliefs are so powerful. And that's what I want to get into. I want to talk about how the things that we're deciding to believe are very, very powerful. And frequently they are not based on some natural law that has to be the case. Okay. Before I jump into that, I do want to point out the anatomy of thoughts in our brain. So neuronal connections in our brain, neuronal being nerve cells, neurons, neurons are the cells of our brain and they connect to one another in a chain like fashion that create movement, that create thoughts, that create feelings, that create our experience of the world. Neuronal connections do this. Neuronal connections are such, the anatomy of them are such that the more frequently you run a certain neuronal pathway, so a nerve to nerve to nerve to nerve chain, the more frequently you run that chain. And what I mean by run is the more you stimulate it electrically and an electrical impulse fires down that chain of neurons. The more frequently you do that, the tighter those neurons get to each other, the stronger that connection gets. Neurons and neuronal connections, this pathway uses the same protein to connect to each other that our muscles, that our bicep uses to build more bicep. And if you think about it, you want a bigger bicep, a stronger bicep, you're gonna do more bicep curls. You're gonna do it more frequently. The stronger your thoughts are means they've just been run. They've just been fired off more frequently. That's all it is. Okay. So the more times we fire off that electrical connection, the more times we run that, the stronger it becomes. I look at this neuronal connection, this neuronal chain, this anatomical connection in our brain, similar to the way a dog runs a fence line. So if you think about a dog coming to a new yard, they move into a new house, they're coming to a new yard and there's a fence and the dog starts running the perimeter of the fence. Initially, there's grass that goes right up to the fence line. But as the dog runs this, the grass gets padded down in that path. Inevitably, the grass gets worn away and it's a dirt path. And then inevitably, there's a rut in that dirt that gets formed because of the frequency with which the dog is running that fence line, okay? If a dog has an obstacle put in the rut, that fence line that it's run for all these years, it's so strong, they don't even think about it. It becomes automatic, right? They just do this. If a obstacle gets put in that, they're suddenly very awkward and how to get around that obstacle. It's not rocket science. I mean, you just sniff your way around. But because of how fixed they are in doing it one way, it's very hard to do it a different way. The same thing happens with our thoughts. Because of how fixed we are with a certain belief, it becomes very difficult to have a different belief, to have a different thought. 
Okay. And again, this is the power of the thought and, and, and think about anything that you've tried to change your belief on, whether it be a family member, like you have an in-law that you realize your life might be better if you got along with your in-law. So you try to change your belief about them and you always keep coming back to the original belief, right? Like even though you're trying the easy path is to go back to that original belief. Even though dog finds a way around the obstacle, if the obstacle gets removed, the dog's going to go back to that original rut formed in the fence line because it's just the easy one. It's what they know, right? So this is the anatomy. This is how thoughts work. This is how thoughts are created. So when I work with clients, the ones who can't seem to figure out how to stop eating the food that's creating the diabetes, these are the folks that we spend a lot of time looking at what they think because our brain has created this reality. So I want to offer to you, that's where coaching comes in. That's where my program is really, really helpful. If you just need to know that chocolate cake's causing your diabetes, that's science, that's easy. This is all thought, but that's easy, right? Like that's just basic. If you understand that this food's making you sick, it's very easy to stop eating that. But if you have a belief that the food isn't that bad, like, and we're going to jump into this, but if you have a belief that, oh, some of the food should be okay, like the food's got to be all right. It can't be the problem. That is thought work and it is the hardest thing to like change. It's very challenging to change it. It's very challenging to slow it down and see this is what your brain is creating for you. In fact, when I ask my clients, when in my brain, I'm running the thought model, right? Like I'm working that with this, what they're telling me. They're telling me about how hard it was to not eat the food and how I'm just sick of eating this way all the time. And it's so boring and I don't want to eat this way. And I don't understand why I can't have more carbs. When they're telling me this, I'm running the thought model in my head. Oh, they have a thought that this is so hard, that counting macronutrients is so challenging, that eating this way is boring. And then I'll ask them, how do you feel? And they'll run a whole nother slew of thoughts that they're having. They can't give me feeling words because our brain does not know how to like interpret what's going on this way. We've not practiced looking at our experience in this way. And this is where coaching is really helpful because I'm trained in it. And then I teach my clients this and they can get practiced at this. But recognize this is how our brain creates our reality. The reality that we have that everybody's like, no, this is reality. It all comes from this. We have thoughts, we have feelings, we have actions, and those actions create our results. And those results create our thoughts or provide support to our thoughts and beliefs. So it's based on this confirmation bias. It's based on this predictive thinking machine that our brain, that our brain is the predictive thinking machine that is our brain right? Whatever we have seen creates thoughts, beliefs, and predictions about what it's experienced in the past or based on what it's experienced in the past. And it will then confirm what we already believe. Okay. So when my clients come to me with their thoughts, thoughts like it will, I'll always be sick. I'll, I'll never be able to fix type two diabetes or it's genetic. That is the worst thought that the medical community has ever offered anybody about anything. Are there genetic anomalies? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are genetic anomalies, but 
they are not the only thing. It doesn't mean you don't have any agency over your health, right? If you have a genetic predisposition for lung cancer, like all the people in your family has cancer, it doesn't mean you're doomed to have cancer. Certainly, it means that you should not smoke cigarettes, right? I feel, again, and I've said, I said this in the beginning, type 2 diabetes is a normal biologic response to the human being eating foods that are not normal to the human being. So what I would offer to you is all the humans are predispositioned to type 2 diabetes because this is just the biology of our bodies. But when we offer to people, this is genetically mediated and you're always going to be sick with it. They feel hopeless. They don't want to do anything different. They keep eating junk food because there's nothing they're going to do about it differently, right? When they have thoughts like, I can't stop eating this food and they feel out of control. When they say things like, it's too hard to go through the afternoon without eating candy and they feel stuck. When the chocolate just speaks to them and they feel lost, like I don't know what to do, right? Clients come to me with those beliefs, but they also come with more insidious beliefs. And that's what I'm going to actually go through today. Not those other ones, because the other ones, I don't know, they're clearly just the chocolate speaks to me like chocolate doesn't speak. (laughs) That's clearly just a story that we have in our brain. We are going to work through how to kind of challenge that. But I just want to offer the more insidious thoughts seem very, very real. They feel that you just, they're very, very sticky because they seem very, very real. So thoughts like a little isn't that bad or, but the label says healthy on it or so-and-so can have that. Why can't I? Or a thought like I should be able to have just a little bit occasionally. All of those thoughts create feelings like entitlement, intolerance, or injustice, or even obstinance and defiant and stubborn, right? So we take the information that we get in certain scenarios and we interpret it or think it's something else than it is, right? Like it isn't that bad. So we take that information, like it isn't that bad. And we interpret it as it's not that bad, ignoring the fact that our blood sugars go up with it. Or it says healthy on it. And We want to believe what's on the label or in the past we have believed what's on labels and we think that we can believe what's on the label, but we ignore the fact that even though it says healthy, our blood sugars go up, right? We ignore, we are so focused on confirming what we already believe that we ignore what evidence we actually have in front of us. If it wasn't that bad, our blood sugars wouldn't go up. But the fact of the matter is your blood sugars do go up. If it was truly healthy, your blood sugars wouldn't go up. Your diabetes wouldn't get worse. If so-and-so could have it, why can't I? I would offer so-and-so can't have it. And if you look at the medical like evidence out there, if you look at the studies, somewhere 88 to 93% of Americans have metabolic disease. That's too much insulin that's on the spectrum of diabetes, 83 or 88 to 93% of us, two studies, one in 2019, one released this last summer in July, 93% in that last study of Americans have cardiometabolic disease. That is not, nobody can eat it. What I want to offer to you is that that's not genetic, right? Like genetically, we were not predispositioned to die off 
from metabolic disease, to develop metabolic disease in middle age. That was not a predisposition genetically. We would never become the dominant species on the planet if that were the case, right? Realize that all of these are thoughts. They're thoughts that serve me, so I'm holding on to them. I'm offering them to you. Maybe they'll help you. But recognize, like, so-and-so can have it, and I feel like I'm being cheated because I can't. I don't think they can have it either. It does not align with our biology. Other thoughts like I should be able to and making us feel obstinate and defiant and stubborn. I want to offer you, you should be able to, but recognize you can do it. And with that also comes elevated blood sugars. I should be able to eat little Debbie's. You can eat little Debbie's and you can deal with your blood sugars because those are going to go up because that's just biology. Okay. Some of these are thought errors, right? Like so-and-so should be, has it, so I should be able to. That's a thought error. I don't, like science doesn't support that. Um, this isn't so bad. Your biology, if this isn't so bad, your blood sugars wouldn't go up. If that's not the outcome you're getting, then that's a thought error. And sometimes it's just thought errors. Frequently, it's just thought, the sticks on the ground are just thought errors. They're not snakes. They're sticks. They're just misinterpretations of what I am seeing and what it means. It doesn't mean that it means something else. The brain does this with all sorts of things. But we base our beliefs based on what's happened in the past, even if it isn't supported by what's going on right now. Okay. And that's where seeing our thoughts for what they are. They're one, optional, and two, they're moldable, okay? So how do we do this differently? First, you're aware. You must give yourself the opportunity to look at your current beliefs objectively. Give yourself some space. Don't be beholden to them. They don't create you. They're just an experience you're having. Like, I am not the kind of person that only sees snakes in the world. When I'm on a run, I am the kind of person that's really hypervigilant about snakes, right? Like that happens. I'm experiencing hypervigilance about snakes because I don't want to get bit by a snake, even if it's not poisonous. Like that doesn't sound like fun, right? So being aware of what's happening, giving yourself the opportunity to look at your current beliefs, giving yourself permission to consider that everything that the brain is offering you is a belief and it's optional. It's optional. I don't have to believe this for the rest of my life. There are natural laws that you can fight. Like I want to fight gravity. Like don't crawl on the roof and decide, oh, I think I can fly. I got to believe I'm going to fly. Don't do that. That will work out badly for you. But even gravity, we create machines as human beings to overcome gravity that allow us to fly. So even gravity, even some of the, these natural laws Humans need oxygen. We breathe. Yeah, well, we can hold our breath for a certain amount of time, right? Now, yes, we'll pass out and oxygen will come back into our body. But even these natural beliefs, there's wiggle room with them. So what if your belief about the food, what if there's wiggle room with them? If gravity and oxygen has wiggle room, maybe the belief about what you're eating can also have some wiggle room. You have to give yourself permission to consider what if there's wiggle room? Consider the fact that the thought that your brain's offering you about the food is just a belief and that it's optional and there's wiggle room. And then you start to tell yourself that you're deciding to believe that. I've decided to believe that it's unfair 
that I don't get the foods when somebody else does. I've decided to believe that I can have a little bit, even though the evidence doesn't support that. I have decided to believe that that phrase is so powerful because suddenly it brings all the power back to you. It's not this um, victim, right? Like, oh, my body's broken. I've decided to believe that this is genetic. That gives you the opportunity to decide something else too, right? Like inherent in that statement is that you have the opportunity to believe something else also. So for me, I see this, I can see this in my past. Many years ago, I decided in my training, like when I was first starting to take care of patients. So as a nurse, and then also as a training physician, when I was first starting to take care of patients, I had believed that somebody else could do the job better. And this plagued me through my training because instead of taking like the reins to do it first, like, oh, this is the first time I'm going to do this procedure. Instead of taking that opportunity, I was like, somebody else could do it better. I think they should do it. And I stepped back and let everybody else get all of those experiences, right? I decided once I realized, I decided to believe that. I was able to get some wiggle room on that. I really had an inferiority belief that, that somebody else was better at doing a job and there was somebody else that knew more. Similarly, or maybe like that thought doesn't serve me and I'm going to get to that. But similarly, I have had other thoughts that I decided many years ago that very much served me. Many years ago, I decided to believe that nature knows best And that if I can get out of my body's way and let nature take over, health will always be the default. I decided to believe that many years ago, if I can just get out of my way. Okay. When you become aware of your thoughts, when you become aware and of of not only the thoughts, but what you have decided to believe, then you can ask yourself, does that serve me? Does it serve me to believe the inferiority belief about my abilities, right? My inferiority belief that everybody else was better at doing something than I was did not serve me and it didn't serve my patients is really what that came down to. However, my belief about nature and my body healing, that totally served me. When I found a belief that didn't serve me, I just asked myself, is that true? Is the belief true? My inferiority belief I guess, yes, there's always going to be somebody better trained. Even the most trained people that I was calling because I was like, I'm untrained. Will you come do this procedure? There's somebody else better trained than them. That's just the reality of the world. What else is true about my that inferiority belief for me was frequently I was the best person on hand right there in the moment to do a job. I was the most trained. I was the most qualified and I had the most experience in present company to do that job. So I better do it because nobody else is there to do it, right? When I started to have that belief, when I switched, when I realized that that's also true, suddenly I started serving my patients and I started taking the opportunities to glean information from those who are more experienced from me so that my procedures would be top-notch, the best that I could provide to somebody. That was also true, right? It was also true that in the moment I was the most trained in present company to do it and that I had the opportunity to call other more experienced people to guide me. That was also very true, right? 
So when you find a belief that doesn't serve you, ask yourself if it's true. If you find a belief that does serve you, like mine about my body and nature and and the default to health, let that run with you. Let that run through you. Let that be your belief. Let that be the place that your feelings and your actions come from. Remind yourself that you're deciding to believe that. Take power over that. Take agency over that. For our food beliefs, a little isn't that bad, right? Like, does that serve you? Does it serve you to believe that a little bit of that food isn't so bad? If it keeps you eating the food and driving your blood sugars up, I don't know that it does serve you. Is it the only truth that a little is that bad? No, it's not the only truth because I have just a little and my blood sugars go up. So that's not the only truth. Also true is a little bit is that bad. What else is true? I could live life without this. I am working on becoming the person that doesn't eat foods that make me sick, right? All of that is true if you decide to believe that, right? It says healthy on the label. Does it serve you to believe that it says healthy on the label? Because if it's causing your blood sugars to go up, I would offer that it does not serve you. Is it the only truth? No, the other truth is that it makes my blood sugars go up. What else is true? Clearly it's not healthy. That's also true, right? But so-and-so can have it and the unjust that feels there, that you feel there, right? Does it serve me? Even if it's true that so-and-so eats Pop-Tarts all day long and doesn't have any insulin resistance or health problems, even if it's true, does it serve you to believe it? And if it doesn't serve you to believe it, then what else is true? She probably can't eat that forever. That food, the other thing that's true, that food doesn't align with my biology. Also true. And the, and the, the real kicker, I should be able to. I should be able to eat Pop-Tarts. I should be able to eat cake or candy. Does that serve me? The answer is no. It does not serve me to believe that I should be able to. Do I want to keep believing that? Is it the only truth? No. You know, and again, I always offer, if I should be able to, that's fine. You can. Absolutely, you can. You're a grown-ass woman. You can do whatever you want. Absolutely. However, if you should be able to do that, then you should also expect you're going to have the normal biological outcome, which is high blood sugars. That's what you're getting with that. That's what comes with that. And that's the other truth of that. So I don't know that there's that are served by believing those things. And also there's always something else that's true. Again, gravity, right? Like, yes, natural law, gravity, please don't jump off your house because natural law of gravity is true. Also true, we make airplanes. We make hot air balloons. We overcome gra gravity as human beings. That is the thought model. That is the work that I do with my clients. Again, nobody needs me to tell them that chocolate cake is a problem. That's what's causing your diabetes. Lay off the junk food. You already know that. Why you continue to eat chocolate cake when it's making you sick and cutting years off your life, that's coaching. That is a thought issue. If that's the work you need to do, please reach out to me, Delane at Delane MD. I'm happy to help um, set you up for a consult, show you how my program works, get you signed up, get you started on this please recognize you can make these changes without my group. And I'm not saying that disparagingly, like my group is not helpful or beneficial. It totally is. Like lots of women will tell you, like 
this taught me how to do the work that I needed to do to be naturally healthy. However, you can do this even if you can't afford to join my group. And the reason that that's important for me to let you know, and the reason that I put uh, stories from listeners who have made these changes and changed their health, why I put that out there, and not only stories from my clients, why I put that up for everybody is because I want you to know it's possible for everyone. Joining my group will make it easier. Absolutely. If you can give yourself that gift, call me. Let's go. But recognize this is possible for all the humans. And that's really important, I think, for everybody to hear. I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions, send me a message, Delaina, Delaina MD. If you want to set up consults, send me a message, Delaina, Delaina MD. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, both of those at Delaina MD. I will be back next week. I'll talk to you then. Bye.